Hey, Fab. Hi, Charles. What's going on? Nothing much. Definitely uh, enjoying some of the better weather. Me too. Me too. I'm enjoying the weather. I'm enjoying basketball. Your boy Kyrie has been killing it. Wait. What do you mean, my boy Kyrie? You know, you guys have a lot of things in common. <laughs> oh, yeah, because we're both superstar NBA players and uh, millionaires. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're our best friends here. Yeah, well, you both believe that the earth is flat. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant. You're going to put that out there like that? Come on. So, hold on. Let me, let me just clarify something really quick. So, I had this conversation with you, first of all, in confidence. And I wasn't expecting it to be broadcasted here. We mentioned it in season one. But since you want to go there, it's not that I believe that the earth is flat. It's that I don't know for sure that it's not. I know. You've made that argument before. <laughs> Saying that you don't know it's not, it's like you believe in the earth is flat. It's like tomato, tomato. Kind no, of no, no, no. I'm, I'm definitely not like Kyrie because he, he was taking a stance and saying that this is what it is. I'm, I'm not that far into the rabbit hole. But I'm like, if I'm going to be honest with myself, I've never done the, any experiments. I haven't traveled to the uh, to the moon. I, I haven't, you know, walked to the edge of the earth, right? I'm just going off of what I've been taught in school, what I see on TV. But if I'm really going to be honest, and I'm just putting myself out there, I haven't proven it for myself. Have, have you? No, but that's exactly what bothers me about people who believe the earth is flat. I feel like they're lazy. Right? Because especially someone like Kyrie who has the means and the funds, if you okay. believe the earth is flat, you know what? Get on a private jet, fly to the end of the earth, and come back and tell the rest of us, hey, you guys have been lied to. He has the means to easily prove or disprove this theory. I don't have the means to go on a trip around the world to see if it's flat. Okay. He does. Now, Prove it or shut up. Like that's literally what I what I think about. It's like like it's such an easy theory to prove. I choose to trust the science, trust the pictures, trust that. And I get that that doesn't mean that I for sure know that the earth is round, but I'm going with the science. If you think we're being lied to and this is a massive conspiracy, uh-huh. you have the means to prove it. Okay, so that's fair enough for Kyrie, someone who has access to resources. Right. Um, but what about, you know, people who don't, like myself? And now, again, I, I'm not going around telling people, you know, <laughs> the earth is flat, you know, don't don't believe, you know, what you're seeing on TV. And honestly, I'm not even that much bothered to even, like... Cause you don't it, care enough. I, I don't care enough, because there, there are actual experiments you can do, uh, you know, like that you can kind of do on your own to be able to prove that I there's watched, a curvature. I watched that episode, Bill Nye, the science guy, yeah. where he talked about this topic. And I trust the dude. I mean, I trust Bill Nye. I mean, he knows what he's talking about. He he actually talked about how you can prove, like you said, yeah, experiments, how you can prove that this, the earth is a circular sphere. Right, there's like a curvature there. A curvature, yeah. all of that. Um, so for me, I'm like, oh, makes sense. You're smart. I got it. <laughs> I trust you. For, for Kyrie to say the earth is flat, it's like, all right, just, you know, rent, rent a boat and just sail out in the ocean until you hit the edge and come back, take pictures and come back and show us, like, or stop talking about it. <laughs> all right. Well, again, I, I, I can I can see that going against, you know, going against someone of, of that magnitude. But, you know, if the average person doesn't want to follow just kind of, you know, some talking head on a screen... Uh, right, because I, I think 
hearing you t- hearing you talk about putting so much faith in in Bill Nye the Science Guy, by the way. Well, he's just to me kind of is like uh, he's just one person that I grew up watching as a kid. Yeah. Uh, but he's not the only person that's talking about this. I mean, it's like thousands of scientists have proven this. So for me, it's, it's just like I'm not just listening to one. I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to believe common sense. Well, there's also a, uh, another group. There's a group of us who don't believe. <laughs> and, and we've got some scientists on our side. Go prove it. There are so <laughs> many other conspiracy theories that are so much harder to prove, right? I, I believe that part of why conspiracy theories stick around for so long is that they're hard to prove. We can't go out there necessarily ourselves and prove that there was a second shooter for JFK. That's the conspiracy theory we believe, right? Like that... You, sure. you know, we yeah, can go yeah, back yeah. in time. There's a lot of classified information that we just don't have access to. So if you believe that, it's hard to prove that. Right. The earth is flat. We can prove it. We can work on that one. Easily. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to having this conversation in a deeper way, you know, kind of all jokes aside, you know, there's a lot of history to this, right? That oh, kind yeah. of, you know, where these conspiracy theories come from, even talking about superstitions. So let's have that conversation. And to our audience, as always, we invite you to take this journey with us as we explore conspiracy theories and superstition. This is just our opinion. This is In My Opinion, a course-sized seat into the sometimes quirky and lively conversations between two friends from grad school. We talk about everything and nothing, blending social commentary with strong opinions. Often entertaining, sometimes serious, and all the way civil. You know, the way you wish the world would be. All right, so, you know, it, it was nice to have a, a good laugh at my expense. I, 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 I hope you, you enjoyed yourself there. I did. I did. I, it was a lot of fun. If you're listening to us and, you know, I want you guys to go to our Instagram page and I want you to comment if you're in agreement with me because I feel like I just need to have some, some outside support here that I'm not alone in this. You are definitely not alone on this. There are a lot of people who either believe the earth is flat or have natural curiosity around the theory. You know what? I think that sounds so much better because I, you know, I think having a natural curiosity to me, <laughs> you know, it just kind of opens the door a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so we're going to explore this topic in conversation. But I think before we get too far down the rabbit hole, it, it might be good to kind of ground us in just some, some common language and definition here. Yes. So, you know, we're going to talk about super, uh, superstitions. We're going to talk about uh, conspiracy theories. But I think it's first, you know, good for us to talk about what exactly is uh, a superstition. So let's talk a bit about the definition. So a superstition is a widely held but unjustified belief in some supernatural causation leading to certain consequences, meaning that things outside of your control, that if you do them, uh, it's going to lead to something negative happening to you. Yeah. So like every time I wear my favorite shirt, my team wins. Exactly. Right. Um, (laughs) Which I think is interesting because you just named something that had a positive outcome, right? If you think about it in that way. Right. Uh, But it's interesting that they're kind of associating just by the definition, sup, uh, something that's supernatural or superstitious to be more on the negative side. Uh, but, you know, I think that there are some positive ones, too, that we'll, we'll kind of talk about and explore. Um, there's another definition 
I think this one's a little more harsh, and I kind of have some issues with this one. Okay. Um, and so this is in... Did they call everybody stupid? <laughs> <laughs> they might as well. <laughs> uh, so this is actually from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And if really? you look up... They seem to be so cool. <laughs> if, if you look up the word superstition... It's actually said to be a belief or practice resulting from ignorance. Hmm. And I was like, who do they think they're talking yeah, those to? Are, those are fighting words. It says, uh, a belief uh, or practice resulting from ignorance and fear of the unknown. And I'm just like, that just seems a little too matter of fact. Like, I think there's just a lot more nuance to, you know, kind of where superstitious beliefs come from, you know, being rooted in culture and history and tradition they kind of make it seem like it's a matter of like if you don't it's it's just because you don't know enough information that you believe this thing they even say that it or it's a false conception of causation yeah and um i think i need to talk to my grandmother about that (laughs) yeah right yeah i I was like they're disrespecting my nana here (laughs) like you call my nana stupid like what are you talking about because there's things that she told me that were not based on anything like science. No science. Nope. Yep. But it worked. It totally every worked. Every single time. And I think that's part of why I think there's so much more nuance to this idea of superstition because it's there for a specific purpose. Right. And the purpose is that you're going to move accordingly to avoid whatever this thing is. So technically, if it gets you to avoid it. Right. And you then are out of harm's way, then couldn't we call that a win? Right, because I guess it's not necessarily whether it works the way that people think it works. Right. It's just that it works. It works. Right? That's whether the point. we understand yeah. why or not. Totally. But you have to admit, there are some silly superstitions <laughs> out there. All right, so let's talk about a few. Uh, and, you know, we, we kind of grew up in similar er- uh, eras. And so these are ones that I heard Did growing we? up. I don't know. You always say that you're so much older than me. I, I don't say that I'm so <laughs> much older. I just say that I'm, you know, that I'm more mature. Okay. Um. But, you know, these are some ones that I grew up hearing, okay. and I'm interested if you also grew, you know, grew up with the same. So let's, let's put it that way, then. All right. Let's, 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 yeah. let's, 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 let's compare. Let's see with the same age, based on the superstitions we believe. Okay, so <laughs> here's a popular one. Step on a crack, break your mother's back. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely heard that one. <laughs> uh, so now this one actually, you know, as, as time went on, uh, you know, we actually kind of, I was learning that there's, kind of some more racial tones to this that this kind of has some yeah. some underlining history there so I, I did learn about that as an adult as yeah. a kid as I a kid it right. was a game i never really took it serious like i never believed that if i stepped on on a crack i would break my mother's back but it became like a game i would do with my siblings true like, yeah yeah no, I step on a crack you break your yeah. mother's back kind of thing yeah no i i um i, I think i i kind of did believe it a bit but I also kind of like you used it more as a game and as an opportunity to just kind of have some fun with friends. Right. Um, all right. How about this one? If your ear is ringing, someone is talking about you. I use that expression to this day. <laughs> like I'm having a conversation with a friend and then I'm talking about someone. And they call and I said, girl, your ear must be ringing. <laughs> I'm just talking about you. So I don't even know. I haven't even thought whether or not I believe in it. I just... Think of it as an expression, if that makes any sense. I know what you mean, but if I'm going to be honest, I feel like there have been times, because I, I think this is actually using the uh, literal meaning of if your ear is actually tingling, right, right, that that's 
kind of this, you know, aura or sense that someone's talking about you. And I feel like there's been times where that's happened. And it's really freaky. And it's like, okay, this is too much of a coincidence here. Right. It's almost like, I do believe in energy, though. I, I believe that sometimes we attract things mm. that we think about. So maybe, maybe it's, that's not as silly. Okay. Uh, have you ever heard about splitting the pole gives you bad luck? Yes. Okay. Um, and when I was in high school, it was super annoying <laughs> that, like, you know, if I was walking down the street holding hands with my boyfriend. It does feel weird, yeah. He would literally, let, like, let, let you go. push me to <laughs> oh, the okay. side so that we wouldn't split a pole or something. And it would just be like, like, why? So, oh, so that you guys would, would walk around it together? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. It's like, all you have to do is just... Let go of my hand and then hold it back after the pole. So I don't, I don't know about the bad luck thing, but I'll be honest, it does just feel awkward and weird to be walking together with someone and then to, I don't know, go around a, to go around like an object, whether it's a pole or it's some some column or something, some obstacle. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I don't think it feels weird, but maybe that's a guy thing. I think a lot of guys think about that. Okay. And you know what? Kudos to your to your boyfriend at the time for uh, you know trying to protect you from from some bad luck. I'm like <laughs> so ungrateful. I'm like this, this this man is over here thinking you know. I should have appreciated. You should that definitely more. you yeah. know shout out yeah. to him, man. Wherever you are. Okay, how about? Oh, th- I think this one was a common one, especially for, for parents. Uh, if you keep making that face, one day it'll get stuck that way. Yeah, I heard that as a kid a lot. You know what I also heard though, mm-hmm. like it was really cold outside, and uh-huh. it went from like a hot environment to a cold environment that your fri- your face would freeze up weird. Oh wow, okay. Right, like so sometimes like you know when when as a girl and I'm doing my hair and I'm like let's say I'm blow drying my hair, mm-hmm. my mom's like you can't go outside until you cooled off, and I'm like oh, wow. what? Really? Okay, I, I didn't hear <laughs> that about that was one. That's the weirdest thing. And one day I actually decided to test it. My <laughs> face was fine. Yeah, so I, I hadn't heard about that one before, uh, but certainly the whole idea of, you know, your face being stuck in a certain, uh, and, and I think this is a perfect example of where it was used for a specific purpose, right? Because yeah. when it was told to me, it was never when my face was happy. It wasn't right. like, hey, don't smile or else your face is going to get stuck. Right. It was if I was grimacing or, or making a weird face, making a weird face yeah, or, yeah. or complaining. So, right, I think obviously the idea behind that was... You know, like watch watch how you express yourself. Right. I think it was more about correcting behavior. Because now totally. that I think yeah. about it, my mom would say that when we were opening the fridge a lot and mm-hmm. we would stick our head in the fridge, it's like, <laughs> your face is kind of free. Look at it. It's just like, yeah, I think it's you didn't like, want us to eat all the food. Yeah. Or just stop wasting my electricity. <laughs> right. <laughs> and close my fridge, right? But it's like, you're not going to listen to that, but you're definitely going to listen to something that right. might scare it's, you. It's like, like a fear tactic. Yeah, it's totally a fear tactic. Yeah. But again, totally worked. So Marion Webster, I would not call that ignorant. I would call that effective parenting. That's one way to look at it. Uh, you know, because again, I, I got to defend my Nana here, man. They, they were... <laughs> now, you know, all jokes aside, I think I think we could agree that these are, you know, at, at best kind of, you know, comical, creative ways of, you know, addressing some some behaviors or, you know, just, you know, having fun things to do, especially as kids. I don't, I don't think there are a lot of adults walking around still concerned about splitting the pole, but maybe there are. I don't know. Right. Or it's not something they're willing to... To admit, yeah. To admit. <laughs> but I think there are some other ones that have a bit more uh, truth in them, maybe as a matter of speaking, and that may be a, a little bit more uh, nuanced. Yes. So 
these are also some ones that I grew up hearing. And I'll be quite honest, I've, I've probably even brought them into my own parenting just out of like the tradition of, hey, this is what I grew up hearing and learning. And, and I feel like it helped save me, so I'm going to pass it on to my own kids. Sometimes you play it safe, right? Totally. Like you hedge your bets. It's yes. like, that didn't hurt me. I'm just going to keep it know, going. Keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so one of them is about not cutting your baby's hair before their first birthday. We, I definitely grew up hearing that. And to this day, one of my brothers who had his hair cut mm-hmm. at 10 months old, uh-huh. To this day, my family talks about that the reason why his hair doesn't grow right <laughs> it's because they cut is because they cut his hair too early. So this one actually, from a scientific standpoint, can have some validity to it. The idea here, no pun intended here, is that uh, particularly with uh, you know uh, different ethnic backgrounds that our hair texture goes through many phases. Yes. So when my kids were born, they were born, like my, especially my daughter's hair, when she was born, it came out just straight and flat. And then a few months later, it went spiky. And then (laughs) she had this weird curl thing where it's like the top of her hair would curl, but then the back was like still straight. We couldn't figure out what to do with this thing. And so the idea is that, you know, if you cut it too prematurely, that you're not giving the hair its kind of due process to go through its natural stages and you can end up ruining that child's hair for the long run. Yeah, I I see it in the other way, actually, because for cultural groups, because hair naturally changes, Mm -hmm. if you cut it and it changed, it's because maybe it was due to change. Um, So like when I was a kid, I had like nice golden blonde curls Mm -hmm. until I was about like two years old. Um, and then my hair started changing. It got darker. It got uh, less soft and more like coily, curly. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it was just how my hair, like no one cut it. Right, to, right. It's to just naturally, it. yeah. My, my hair just naturally changed because I have a lot of different genetic uh, background in right. my DNA, you know, and being from the Dominican Republic and having like a rich ancestry. It, I think it's just more coincidence with this one. So the other part of this that's also that, you know, there may be some causality here is that from the fact if you are cutting. So here is a natural, a natural conductor of heat, so to speak. Right. Mm. So, you know, we have it all over our bodies. And, it, and it's pretty effective. I mean, we wear clothes, so I don't think that we realize how much the hair in our bodies actually protects us and keeps us insulated. But the same happens to the hair on your head. And if you cut that short, especially for infants who are very vulnerable to illnesses and just, right, just, just uh, uh, you know, infections, that you're kind of putting them more at risk of an opportunity to get sick because their, their temperature is, is kind of off a bit. Yeah, so that's actually a really good point. Now that you say that, it makes me think about, I remember when I was uh, maybe in college, I was watching a show of these siblings who were born without eyebrows and Uh, eyelashes. mm -hmm. And to me, I just thought it was more a cosmetic thing. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's just like, they just look a little strange. But actually, they were prone to a lot of eye problems because your eyebrows and your eyelashes protect, protect you from us. dust right. yeah. and different things getting in your eyes. So, yeah, our hair has a purpose. Okay. So, you know, we're, we're educating <laughs> educating the masses here, you know, breaking boundaries. Uh, here's another popular one. And this is one that I did a lot as a kid. Okay. 
and I stopped doing because of this popularly held belief, and that's that cracking your, your knuckles will cause arthritis. I think this is actually true. Okay. <laughs> because I what I understand is when you crack your knuckles, uh-huh. I just cracked my knuckles. Yeah, you literally that did. That air kind of goes into the joint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which causes like inflammation and things like that. So this might be actually based on something. So you're absolutely right. It, 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 it's, it's something about nitrogen in your body is like that's where you hear the popping it's it's the popping of the actual air bubbles um and so there's a bit of a distinction here right so the idea is does it cause arthritis Mm. so there's actually been some research done behind this and in regards to arthritis there is no direct link of cracking your knuckles to arthritis however what you said is the case where it will cause some irritation due to swelling. Mm-hmm. And so what they have found is that, you know, if you do crack your knuckles, and this is like over a long, long period of time. You have to be a compulsive you gotta, You're right. Like you, you're cracker. just every, every, every few <laughs> seconds, you're just cracking away. Yeah. Uh, uh, but what ends up happening is that it, it, it can encourage inflammation in okay. your joints, which can lead to discomfort, swelling. And as you get older... They also linking link it to you kind of losing your ability to grip things as uh, hard. As, as as hard. Which some people might confuse with arthritis. With arthritis, yes. Yeah. They, they, there you go. So there is some truth to this. There is. Now I will say that say this. They do distinguish though cracking your knuckles from, from cracking your neck. Mm. I've never like cracked my neck. It's <laughs> I used to crack my neck all the time and I, I would I would consider it, it like some, so something afraid. cool. Oh no, it was the coolest thing. I would just, really? you know, next to my friends in class and I would just tilt my head oh. and just, you know, it was and like. You know why I think it makes me afraid? What? Because of all the like CIA like <laughs> movies where we see like spies just kill somebody <laughs> by like breaking their necks. And I just, I like, you know, I've gone to a chiropractor and I'm yeah. like, do not crack my neck. Like I do not, like it just really freaks me out. But that, so you actually raise a perfect example of how cracking your 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 bones or you know making that that sound is actually a medical procedure so there are you know so the, the whole <laughs> there's an entire industry that is made around this idea of my chiropractor could not convince me i, I just couldn't relax enough to, to he's not a real doctor is what you're saying like I, he is i just couldn't relax enough i just it's just too scary okay all right so let's do a few more here um how about this one? Being cold or being out in the cold will make you catch a cold. Oh, I hated this one <laughs> because every time I wanted to go you out to go, and I play, know. Yes. I felt like my mom would use this as a reason to not let us out. Smart mom. It's yeah. like, oh, if it rained. <laughs> oh, yes, the rain too. Yeah. It's like, if you get wet, you're going to catch a like cold. I feel like to this day, I have a poor relationship with rain. <laughs> like it rains and I'm like, I'm stuck in I'm an adult and I like literally cancel plans when it rains because... That's literally how I was brought up. If rains, you gotta stay home. Yes. You gotta get. You gotta catch a call. If if water falls on you, <laughs> and you know, it's like we take showers every day. Yes, like, it's true. Like, what is the issue? I, I really yeah, it's a little funny. So here's another one where where there's a bit of, of of truth mixed into it. Okay. But also great convenience for you know adults to tell kids <laughs> to stay inside. Yeah. But. The idea here is that no, uh, you know, getting getting wet <laughs> will, will not make you sick, and 
the idea behind the weather though is connected to there being kind of more instances of illnesses because viruses and um uh what's the other term viruses and uh bacteria. and bacteria do thrive more in cold conditions versus warmer warmer ones right and obviously that could be very specific and unique to each one but in general they kind of thrive more in those um, in right, those cold seasons cold starts seasons. in the fall yeah. and it goes into winter. So I, I, I get that part of it. But I was 25 years old before <laughs> I play out in the rain. Yeah. And it felt amazing. Yeah. So if you're one of those people that don't play out in the rain because you think you're going to get sick, please do it. It's an amazing feeling. And if you do get sick, you can reach Fab at <laughs> <laughs> 555. No. Um, okay, so one more. And this one was my favorite because uh, I did this a lot. And I probably did this one into adulthood, to be quite honest with you. Okay. The five-second rule. Okay, so for those of you who don't know what the five-second rule is. That is just <laughs> so gross. So, oh, okay, so fair enough. So the five-second rule is that if you are eating, you know, if, if you have food. And you drop it. And the food accidentally falls on the floor. Uh-huh. That there is a window of five seconds to which you can... Safely Re- pick it up. You can retrieve that, that, that food and be able to consume it without having any worries about getting sick as a result of whatever surface you just dropped it on. Including the floor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this applies to all surfaces. And does it matter <laughs> what kind of food it is? Like if it's something that is like... like uh, So it's... It, it, like it was, candy, right? That's slimy. If you drop it from your mouth, it's going to like attract... Yes. A whole bunch of crap. So, you know, there were some unwritten rules to this, right? Like, you're not picking up soup, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's just some things you just count as a loss. It's like uh, Cheetos. Yeah, right. Things like that. Although I have seen people, like, skim the top of, of, like, like if something, like, wet or malleable does fall, like, you you try to, like, get the surface part of it. I I actually, that doesn't seem as bad. Like, like, I've actually (laughs) been in a party where they dropped the birthday cake. And they cut the piece that wasn't the, touching that didn't touch the, the ground. Floor, yeah, okay. Saved it and then threw out the rest. That doesn't seem as bad. <laughs> I don't know. I think some people might look at you sideways. <laughs> but I think that also points to the value of the food. It does make a difference. I think that makes yes. a difference more yes. than the, like if I spend a lot of money on that cake, we, we're gonna eat this cake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't care what's on it. We're going to eat this cake. Yes. All right. So from a scientific standpoint, uh, it does not matter how long you uh, keep, you know, how, how long the food is yes. on the floor. It, it, it's it, dirty. It, it's just dirty. Especially if it falls on a rug or carpet. Yeah. Oh, like I think rugs and carpets are like 10 times as dirty as the floor. Probably, Because yeah. you can't clean them. Yeah. So, yeah. So there, there's no such thing as a five second rule. I enjoy kind of having some lighthearted conversation and, and maybe, you know, bringing some some truth and evidence to some of these... Uh... It made me go down memory lane. Like, I, I, I started thinking about my childhood and all those things that we used to believe and do yeah. uh, that we grew up with. And it just either kept us safe or it was just part of what we did. And in your case, even up until your late 20s... <laughs> I avoided the rain. <laughs> still avoided the rain. <laughs> But on a, on, a, on a more serious note, right, yeah. and this is something that you brought up even when we were kind of talking about this offline, was just kind of this consideration for a link between 
these kind of superstitions and old wives tales that we were taught to believe growing up and the conspiracy theories <laughs> that exist today which you could probably quantify as adult superstition you know in in some regard yeah that's a good way of putting it adult superstition i, I think that you know when i think of conspiracy theories I, I think for a lot of them, um, it's things that we believe that we can't necessarily prove, mm -hmm. right? You know, if you are someone that has a lot of superstitions or, or you believe in a lot of old wives' tales, you have to allow yourself room to believe something that you don't necessarily have the science or facts for, but you believe it anecdotally or, or because it's something that's been passed down uh, to you uh, culturally. True. And, and I think even here, there's some link, right, when we talked about the superstition, that the idea behind them was somewhat rooted in trying to manipulate behavior. Right. And similarly, with conspiracy theories, the idea is that it's kind of this, this, this higher power, whether it's the government or, you know, some, some secret... Uh, alliance behind the scenes trying to control us like Illuminati the Illuminati right <laughs> or you know the, the the Masons right yeah you know trying to you know get us to conform so I think that there is a lot of you know kind of similarity between these two things yeah because I, I think it speaks to human nature right in that and how we operate and how we have the ability and capability to believe things that we don't yet understand or have evidence for um, because there have been times that those things end up just being true totally so one of the ones that we talked about was uh, area 51 yes that has <laughs> been around for a while so area 51 is apparently this this uh specific uh military base uh, military base uh, that's owned by the government and that is secretly housing uh, aliens. <laughs> and I was going to try to figure out some like scientific <laughs> term. It's aliens, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, and that the government knows that aliens exist. Yes. And they've known about it for, you know, all this time. But and they, they don't want us to They don't know. want us to know about it <laughs> because they are doing, they're, they're running experiments. Right. Uh, to be able to extract the alien uh, knowledge and information because the aliens are more advanced than we are, which I, I always find interesting that the aliens are never like stupid. It's never like right. It's always <laughs> just, like aliens are smarter, are just way advanced, they yeah, have cooler technology. <laughs> yes. And I guess in some ways it makes sense because if they're able to make it to us and we don't make it to them, they have to be smarter. Or, right? or they could just be lucky. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I've ended up in certain neighborhoods. Very true. Just by not following the directions or, properly. Or I found like. Hidden gems. Hidden gems, hidden totally. Hidden yeah. just by luck. It's just by luck. <laughs> so maybe they were lucky, but it's this idea of like... And, and also, right, there's there's these links with um, some of these uh, monuments that we have, like like uh, uh, Stonehenge and pyramids that are believed to not have... Which is interesting because it's like this idea that uh, primitive uh, people of ethnic backgrounds aren't intelligent enough. So it... It's got to be aliens right. who made the pyramids. Particularly, um, I watched a really wonderful documentary on the Mayans. Mm. And um, they are credited with a lot of technology. Oh, yeah, huge. The yeah. calendar, math. Yeah. The bathroom, just just water yeah, systems. Uh, Geniuses, yeah. Just a lot of things. Yeah. And this idea that they were able to come up with this technology or advancement mm -hmm. in civilization at a time 
where maybe Westerners yes. didn't have it. it. They were still rubbing sticks together. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of interesting because it makes you wonder, like, yeah. what's, behind <laughs> what's behind this? this yeah. Right? Like, is it because you don't believe that these people were smart enough? So the only logical explanation is that it's aliens. Yeah. Right? When there's no evidence that it was. They were, they were able to create amazing things. Yeah. And I actually went to Peru a few years ago. Yeah, and yeah. I went to Machu Picchu. And, oh, and nice. it was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, totally. Uh, right. It, it just it just has to be this, like, these outward beings. And I think it's interesting because social media now gives us access to all of these, like, weird images right. of things. Which, by the way, technically are ufos because a ufo is just simply something you can identify right which is interesting right because of uh back in 2020 a few months ago mm -hmm. the u.s government actually admitted, they admitted yeah. that they saw a ufo and they, they were telling the truth right and it's like and people think ufo just means aliens yeah no and it's not necessarily that yeah they, they, they were looking at the image and they were like yeah we don't know what that is but i gotta admit something okay so <laughs> this is gonna be one of of my i do believe Mm. in aliens there has to be another life source out there so you believe in aliens i don't know if i believe in aliens the way that movies portray aliens okay. or the way like uh you know fan fiction portrays mm. aliens the way i think about it is it, we have to be very mm. egotistical to believe that we are the only life form in such a big and expansive mm. universe so i don't completely rule it out but I am not, you know, wow. I'm not taking a trip to Area 51 to try to learn the truth. But I'm, but <laughs> I'm the crazy one here for, 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 <laughs> for, you know, for my flat earth. There's uh, just so much we don't know about it. That's, no, no. And, and in all fairness, I mean, I think that's interesting logic, though, that the idea that the universe is just too big for us. Right. To just be the only ones. Um, but like, I feel like that's an American value, right? We, we, maybe, we, yeah. we tend to be very much with the best, with the strongest, yeah. with this. And then it's also kind of like, well, we're the only, you know, living life force in this universe that we haven't even explored to its, fully, True. To its full capacity. I'm leaving room for yeah, yeah. that possibility. Okay. Not living my life by it, but I'm leaving room. All right. Um, all right. So here's another one that, you know, is... I think far more controversial, but is also a popular held one belief, and even had a documentary yes. uh, made around it. And several, I think. Several, yes. There was one that was really popular. Yes, um, and that is that there was some ulterior motive or conspiracy behind the unfortunate events of 9-11. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think this one is one where, you know, people may even believe it, but obviously also out of sense of, of respect. Yeah. And the lives that were lost, the the war that followed. I mean, th there was just so much behind this. And I think, understandably, that people want to approach this with a, le with a level of sensitivity. But it's also understandable that there was just so many things happening that people still have a lot of questions that they feel like are left unanswered. Right. And I think, especially for us, for New Yorkers, 9-11 just means something very, yeah. very different for us. Yeah. I mean, we can remember where we were. Yes. Uh, like it was yesterday. It was just such a surreal event. I think on the flip side of it, while there is this, um, you know, we when we talk about 9-11, we say never forget, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's how we reference 9-11. We would never forget that day. But there are a lot of questions that people have. And I think in that documentary, Fahrenheit 9-11, mm -hmm. 
that was created, he raised a lot of questions yeah, yeah. Or, or placed a lot of doubts. And are things that we don't necessarily know the truth yeah. or, or have all the information that we may need. So I understand why some people feel this way, but it's just really tricky. It's it is. Really tricky. Yeah, so it, it, it is a tricky situation. And, you know, recently we were talking about, you know, how kind of this, the history of these, uh, of these events kind of play into where we are today, particularly as a country around COVID and the push to get everyone vaccinated. Yeah, it's so tricky because on the one hand, you don't want to minimize the pain and suffering and the many lives lost. Yeah, totally. But there have been periods in our history that have been proven where we've been deceived. Mm. Um, and particularly um, with the Vietnam War, uh, one of the critical incidents that gave us the justification to intervene in Vietnam um, not too long ago, actually, yeah. I believe in 2005, there was a hearing held where uh, there were some documents that were redacted, and it was found that, that the incident that happened that led us to go into that war was partially fabricated mm. or discussed differently yeah. to give us the justification to go in and do that war. So I understand how some people, particularly people that were against the war exactly. yeah. um, in Iraq, could jump to those conclusions because not too long ago, um, particularly with a war like Vietnam that was just not popular at all yes. in, in America, that there were evidence that was found like maybe five years before 9-11 happened that proved that the government deceived us. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's a really great point to make, that, you know, people aren't just... And, and, and for some, right, there are some who are just trying to be disruptors. Yes. Just, right, like, you know, anti-establishment, you know, just wanting to shake things up for the sake of it. But, again, there is a lot of truth that... It, there, there's a lot of truth and history that can leave people doubtful when... Things happen in the future. And I don't think that's uncommon in, in, in just general situations. Relationships. Like if I'm if I was in a relationship with someone and something happened, I'm gonna walk into the next one a bit cautious. Right. Like it's like, hmm, let yeah. me I wanna make sure this doesn't happen to me again. Yeah. But an interesting part about that is that what is interesting about American politics is in the last maybe three decades or so, the confidence in the government has mm. drastically decreased. And that may be a result of social media. Totally. That yeah. may be a result of that we have more access to information. It's not like back when um, Roosevelt was president and he was in a wheelchair and right. nobody knew, and no knew right? Yeah. So now we can see a lot more. We have more access to information. And the trust in the government is at an all-time low. And I think, I think that's a, a, a really great point that as our ability to inform ourselves grows, then we're able to kind of question things a bit more. And I also think that the opposite also happens is that it also gives us more room yes. <laughs> to go down the opposite direction yes. so that when things that are actually like for our benefit, it just falls all under the same category. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in some ways that kind of leads us to where we are today with COVID. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, COVID is here and thankfully there are vaccines that are available, you know, but we know a lot more we, about we, COVID than we did a year ago. Certainly. 
And I mean, I think at this point there are now three vaccine options. Yes. And which which has quite frankly happened in in record time. And that's not to be and that's not to be doubtful. Uh, but comparably to other viruses, that that's just a really really quick window. Uh, to be able to come up with one vaccine, much less three. And I think part of the reason why they were able to come out with it so quickly is because it's based on research that has been going on for 10 years right. or more. So they just adapted that research. But yes, I think the quickness in developing the vaccine has created a lot of anxiety for people and a lot of distrust. Right. And, and we were talking about how, you know, there's there's obviously this big push and campaign to vaccinate as many people as possible, yes. right? That, that this is a proven way to address this virus and really put it under control. That you can't have half the population walking around uh, vaccinated while the other half are just kind of winging it, right? Right. We're trying to reach herd immunity. Yes. However, there is a lot of skepticism around the vaccine. And I think looking at history, we can kind of understand a bit more of why that hesitation exists. We don't have the best history when it comes to vaccinations, no. when it comes to being completely honest with people and treatment um, in this country. We don't. And I mean, just to cite like a few, and we're not talking about hundreds of years ago. I mean, th- this, this is like very real in America's history of these practices. You know, one in particular that really hits home for me is the Tuskegee experiment. And again, we're talking about something that started in the 1930s, kind of existed all the way up into the late 60s and early 70s. There was these experiments that were being done, you know, around the treatment of syphilis, yeah, which is a, a very dangerous uh, venereal disease and, and has several stages that can lead to anything to blindness, to, uh, you know, debilitation of the brain, uh, to death. And- Particularly, these um, vaccinations occur with African Americans. Yes. Exclusively. Yes, and you know, particularly those who who were very vulnerable, low resourced. These were men from the from the uh, from the state of Alabama. And part of the issue here is that they were they were essentially lied to. So so yeah. they were le- they were led to believe that this was around receiving free medical care. Yes. And really what was happening was that the researchers were using them as guinea pigs to test the the, uh, effect of syphilis on the body and to then be able to see, you know, what kind of impact it would have depending on the kinds of medication that they gave. But for a lot of them, they gave placebos. So, you know... They didn't receive anything. And they weren't told. And that's the key here, right? Because sometimes when you, uh, let's say you have an illness and you are exploring a new cancer treatment, but the the ethical thing to do is to tell you, okay, this is a double-blind study. Some people will receive the medicine, some not. We cannot tell you whether you are. So when you go into it, you will, you're making an informed decision and you're saying, okay, I'm going to pursue this line of treatment or I'm going to stick to traditional means of treatment based on, um, on where my disease is or, or right. based on what I believe is best for me. These people weren't allowed to make that decision because they were told, we're treating you. Yeah, and you know this is also with, with the caveat that that there was treatment available. So at this time, penicillin was was being recognized as uh, an actual recommended form of treatment for this disease, uh, for this virus, but it was not even offered to them as an option. And so, you know, you, you have this kind of, you know, backdoor live 
real-time science experiment happening on a vulnerable population of people using their lack of, of resources and information and also abusing their trust in professionals. Right. Right, because this is the idea of, you know, you see someone in a lab coat or they have the title of doctor or researcher and, you know, you're, you're, you're taking them at their word. Because doctors take an oath, right? Yes. They have the Hippocratic oath that is to heal and not harm. So, you know, in, in some ways, people trust in that. And, and that experiment really broke that in so many levels. It did. And, and even just, not just that the experiment happened, but then it even took so long for it to be known, right? So it's like, okay, well, well what else is happening underneath the surface, behind the scenes, even today that we don't know about and we won't find out until years later. And that wasn't the only time. No. That we have done that in American history. Um, not too long ago, between 1950s and 1960, over 100 million Americans received a polio vaccine mm -hmm. that was contaminated with a potentially cancer-causing virus. The creator of this vaccine used this uh, SV40 from contaminated monkeys. Mm -hmm. And he knew that he was using it and the public wasn't informed. And it wasn't until, again, a few years ago where there was a hearing and this came to light. Right. And, and I think, you know, just to give some some in, in context and, and, and ground us, right? We're not trying to raise any, any fear or suspicion of this idea, not this idea, but the science behind the importance of being vaccinated, but it's to be able to help kind of create better awareness of- And understanding. And, and understanding and compassion, I think, for the part of the population that is understandably hesitant due to this historical context, right? I think sometimes it's this idea that, you know, there's just a group of people who are just defiant and just don't want to, you know, take it uh, and are just against authority and they're just rebellious without really having a, a broader perspective and saying, where is this coming from? Right, because even when we have the best intentions, even if we know that things are completely for the benefit um, and have very minimal downsides. If what we want is the outcome, mm -hmm. understanding what has happened, um, understanding the emotions that might be involved, which in this, in this case, I think is a lot of mistrust and fear, sure. um, will help us really have a different conversation. When we label people as, yeah. oh, that's a conspiracy nod, or yeah. they're ignorant, or they're stupid, or here comes the anti-vaxxers, right? Like, that doesn't help us in getting the outcome that we need. And I think what we don't do often enough is that we look at what has happened. Yeah. Why do people believe these things? Uh, where is it coming from? And there are some very real things that have happened in history that can lead someone to make that uh, choice that decision or to have that opinion on vaccines. And I think it's our job or it's the job of, of people in, in the health industry and mm -hmm. the vaccine industry to understand that and figure how to have conversations that make sense for people who have had that experiences because these are not people that are dead, yeah. right? They're, they are people yes. walking around saying to their kids, don't trust the vaccine. This happened to this me. This happened to me, yeah. Right? Like, this this wasn't that long ago. 
And I think that's part of my criticism for, I think, kind of the direction that some of the campaigns have gone, right? And, you know, I don't know if this is necessarily the intention, but I think sometimes what it reads to me is this idea of like shaming people if you don't do it right. and kind of calling you out or and, and, and kind of doing it almost like indirectly. Right. So it's, hey, you know, it, it, you're you know, only people who are you know, people who, who are taking the vaccine are people who are people who care selfless <laughs> people who are selfless. Right. And you're selfish. Right. Yeah. You're you're just you're you're content being a danger to other people. And it's like, no, I don't think there are people who are walking around feeling that way. They're just really skeptical. And I think that this, this is an opportunity. Right. And, you know, I think about like in my own family and, and I'm going to be honest. The first time I heard the vaccine was going to go live really quickly, mm. I was a little anxious about sure, it. Sure, yeah. I, I, I was like, whoa, this is, this seems, there's something about it that gave me discomfort. And I wasn't too trusting on it. I went through my own journey with it mm. and made the decision that's based for me. And ultimately, I'm deciding to get vaccinated. But I, I remember having conversations with my family members around this. And we all, like talk about it, talk yeah. about what are our fears around this. We shared information, we share research, yeah. and we were all in different points in this process. And we we have been able to get to a different point because no one decided to say, well, you are an ignorant person if you don't get the vaccine. Yeah. We talked and eventually um, people were able to make the decision that was best for them. And that decision ended up being, okay, we decided to get vaccinated. But if had they decided not to, that's the decision that was based for them. Right. And hopefully, um, you know, we can continue to support to get them to have the information that they need um, for them to feel comfortable with it. And, and I think that's, that is an, an important perspective to have, right? That the idea is how do we best inform people? And I think that there are a lot of campaigns that are trying to do that right where it's this like idea of let's get more information out there let's let people be aware of let's be transparent let's let's be transparent but i I still think the transparency doesn't go far enough right and as we talk about this history particularly in america of this very same thing and and I'll, i'll be a bit critical to this idea of reading research because even the research is controlled right it's not research that i'm going out and doing myself right i don't i'm not i'm not doing test trials and you know seeing from my you know with my own eyes yes this thing works in this way i'm still taking there's still a level of trust there's, there's a that huge level of trust to have that the information that a research is sharing with you is accurate that is accurate and and i think that you know when i talk about this being a missed opportunity especially you know at the very top you know, I don't hear people saying, hey, you know what? We know that we have a history <laughs> of doing some really crappy things to people, you know, and I, really, I think that this is an opportunity even for the country to take some ownership and say, you know what? We can understand why people are hesitant to, to, to trust us again. We've earned that, right? Rightfully so. However, we are doing things differently so that we can gain that trust back. And, and I think if, if, if there's even some conversation or, uh, dialogue, or, or dialogue or messaging around that, I think people would be a little bit more open to, you know, making themselves available to then think about how they can move forward because it, it, it's necessary. And 
And I think you hit the nail on the head. The one thing we don't do often enough, uh, especially in our country, is that we don't name the mm-hmm. things that are necessary ugly yeah. or that are, that are uh, the ugly part of our history. And people do not heal no. or are yeah. able to move forward until we're able to name it. If you go to individual therapy to speak about a, a trauma that you experienced, the first thing in that healing process is going to be for you to name what's happened to you yeah. so that you are able to respond. And I think what we too often see in, in, in issues like this, whether we're talking about slavery, whether we're talking about racism, whether we're talking about police brutality, whether we're talking about vaccinations, is that we are afraid to name it. Because it's almost like if we don't talk about it, maybe it'll go away. And the opposite opposite. is true. The more we don't talk about it, the more it lingers. The more it becomes an emotional uh, feeling, a thought, a fear. The more it builds mistrust, particularly in the communities that are affected by it. And I hope that we can get to a point where we are having these conversations like you and I are having it today, that it doesn't matter whether what we feel about it. I personally am getting vaccinated and so has my family, but I do have compassion and empathy for people who have fear around getting vaccinations because I understand where it's coming from. Yeah, and and I, again, hope that this becomes a space for opportunity. But, you know, even to get to that point, I think, you know, people are afraid of what, what that may mean, right? Because, you know, to get to a space where you're naming it means that you are admitting, right? right? That you, you are admitting wrong. And that's that's a very difficult thing to do. And, it, and it's a vulnerable thing to do. Extremely vulnerable. And it's like, who's going to be the one to take that risk, right? right. Like, who's going to who, who's gonna put their their uh, uh, candidacy at jeopardy, right? Like, who, who's going to put their name out there on it to kind of be that, uh, you know, to be that target, so to speak, so I do think that we have to recognize it, it is a huge step to take. But again, if the goal is to help to rebuild trust, it's a necessary one that has to happen if we expect to really see any type of significant change. Otherwise, we're just going to keep repeating the same history. And so, you know, I think for us, it's not necessarily a matter of whether or not you should take it. I think people need to be educated. Yes. They need to be informed. Uh, but I think we also have to recognize that trust is a, a critical part of this that oftentimes even outweighs the science of things. Yes. So curious what you guys think. Always love to hear your comments. Uh, you know, leave them. Love, write, subscribe. You can visit us on our website at imopodcast.com and our Instagram, in my opinion, underscore podcast. As always, this is just our opinion. Let us know yours.